Hello and welcome to Living Wow Feminist. Living Wow Feminist is a weekly podcast talking with feminists about the ups and downs, ins and outs, and the emotional rollercoaster ride of living a feminist life. I'm your host, feminist writer, researcher, and author, Jen Thorpe. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Vessel van den Berg. Vessel is the father of two young children aged six and eight, and he sees fatherhood as his main job. In his spare time, his curiosity about men and care has led him to work as a kindergarten teacher, counsellor, activist, and researcher. He works at Sonke Gender Justice and in this capacity has contributed to the establishment of the Men Care Global Fatherhood Campaign and the State of South Africa's Fathers Report Series. He also led on Sonke's advocacy for the prohibition of corporal punishment of children and the promotion of gender equal parenting leave in South Africa. Vessel completed his doctoral study in 2022 about engaging South African men in a feminist ethic of care. So today I'll be talking to Vessel about feminist fatherhood and the state of South Africa's fathers. Welcome, Vessel. Thanks, Jen. It's great to talk with you. Vessel, much of your work has been around fathers and care work. Why was this something that interested you and it seems like it's interested you for a long time, even before you became a father yourself? That's right. Um, you know, it's, it's actually, it's something that I discovered in hindsight, that in, in retrospect, there seemed to emerge this thread of children and men and the caring relationships between children and men. My interest in, the, in that intersection began when I worked in my first job where I was a kindergarten teacher. I had, um, in my circle of friends, there were a few parents who were engaged in the local Waldorf school in Stellenbosch, the Steiner school. And I was just fascinated by the educational approach of of Waldorf schools. And so much so that I actually then um, trained as a a kindergarten teacher. And I I worked as a, firstly, as a playgroup teacher, and then uh, later on as a kindergarten teacher. So children under four years old, and then later on, uh, children older than four up to six. And um, it was really an interesting experience to, to notice how, how masculine I felt in that space, or, you know, how, how much I, I didn't realize that I was a man until I worked as a kindergarten teacher. Um, it was just because it was so different to the environment around me that it was uh, mostly a, a, a female constructed environment. Um, people kept uh, mentioning the fact that, oh, it's interesting that you're a man. Like, oh, you're a man. Like, oh, there's a man who's working as a playgroup teacher. And to me, it, it's something, it was something that I didn't actually think about before I began the work. I was just interested in the topic. Um, but then this question stuck with me of why is it uh, different than normal? Why is it, uh, uh, you know, why does it appear in a way in society that it's 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 a strange thing for for men to be in a in caring professions with children, and um, so that's that's where that's where my interest in in the topic began. Um, I, I you know I, I I went through quite a few uh, different phases after that of. Uh, work focused on engaging men in self-development and in gender equality. 
and then eventually found the direction that I'm focused on now, which is working on men and care and fatherhood as as an element in that broader scope of the work of men and care. And it's so interesting that, I mean, I think for most women listening, you made aware of your womanness throughout your life. And it's so interesting that being in that unusual space was what brought your gender, I suppose, to the fore of your consciousness. Um, something that, that obviously would also have changed that for you is becoming a parent yourself. So how has feminism informed your parenting and parenting informed your feminism? So, yeah, you know, it was really interesting. So I had, um, I think there, there are two uh, kind of key moments um, that, that stand out to me on that intersection of thinking about gender equality, feminism, parenting and care work. Um, the first one was before I became a parent. So I, you know, after working in the kindergarten, I then ventured out and did some work on men's personal development with, with quite a um, quite a masculinist focus, if I can call it that. Um, the, the, the Robert Bly, Iron John, men's movement type stuff. So basically middle-class men drumming in the woods or in the mountains trying to find some kind of personal development progress. <laughs> so I, I did that for a while, um, but then through that became involved in more uh, community-orientated um, non-profit work and then eventually uh, became involved in Sonke. And the work at Sonke Gender Justice is overtly pro-feminist and um, feminist and focused on gender equality. So I had been working on this for a while and the first moment we, we, where it hit home was where I actually one of the instruments where I did one of the, 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 the exercises that we do in our educational program where we ask people to complete a time use survey um, as a couple. So it's basically a little uh, a tick box exercise where you sit down as a couple and my partner and I had been married at that point, my, my wife, we'd been married for about five years. And you look at who does what in the house. And it was very clear that she was spending much more time on domestic work than I was. And I was talking the talk, but not yet walking the walk. Um, and it was a very sobering moment for both of us to understand that while we had spoken about the fact that we might be having an equal relationship here, when we looked at the evidence, it was very different. Um, so that was the first one. And, you know, that, that really then inspired me to actually just in my personal life, firstly, you know, actually get really as familiar with and as competent and as involved and as engaged in domestic work as all the women around me were. Um, but then the second moment was, of course, becoming a parent, as, as, you, as you're asking. Um, and I, you know, I, at that point, again, I had been promoting involved fatherhood, men's involvement in care work, gender equality um, for a number of years. But becoming a parent actually... Uh, challenged me significantly in in my career. I, 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 I was left thinking, I, I wonder if I've picked the right career because if I am struggling so much with this in terms of actually doing what I'm promoting, how much more so somebody who I'm trying to reach with my campaign who doesn't inherently have the motivation to be interested in this. 
um, because I, I found it a major, major uh, challenge to actually put into practice the, the, the care work that I was promoting. Um, and and not, most, not necessarily as a gendered, um, uh, uh, you know, as, as a gendered thing. It was, it was more that um, I think both of us were challenged just with the sheer amount of work that it takes to keep a little body alive and loved and, and cared for. <laughs> um, it's, it really, it's a significant amount of work. And I think it's, it's something that one can't really prepare for. Um, but yes, so I think those two stand out for me as moments when the, the parenting and care and gender equality were kind of highlighted as 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 issues. I mean, just to go back to the first one briefly, Jen, if I, if I may. The, um, so I'm I'm not sure if you've covered this in the in the in the podcast already, but the that um, misperception of the value of work that a man does versus the work that a woman does in a household is it i experienced it when my wife and i did that checklist but it's actually something that's that's quite well documented um one of the studies that's that's a fantastic book to read i would recommend everybody to read it it's called the second shift by an author called arlie hoschild she did a quite a big study of of families in in america and the idea of the second shift is that uh, a, a woman in a kind of a middle-class nuclear family household um, with a couple would likely come home and take on a second shift of work, whereas her partner is likely to only do one shift of paid work. Um, but w- what she also documented was the misperception of intensity of level of effort between women and men of domestic work so uh, uh, you know she would ask a couple uh, how, how do you feel about equality in terms of domestic work and they would say oh we're equal and then she would ask the question that that my wife and I had asked which is well what do you do and um, the, the, the husband would say I take out the trash um, and then the partner says, yeah, he's, he's really good at housework. He takes out the trash. And then she says, well, what do you do? And she says, oh, well, I, you know, I, I arrange the food for dinner. I, I, I do the shopping. I put the shopping list together. I make sure the kids are ready for school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the way that the relationship was constructed, the value that they attach to the minute work that men do is much greater than the actual work that they do. <laughs> So that's a really interesting um, illusion that I think we we have to do a lot of work to overcome. It's so true. Um, we also um, we have just had a baby. He's six months old now, and so we at the beginning made a sort of list for what needs to get done in the house so that we could try and be more equal. Um, and it did take a huge amount of effort to actually reinforce that equality and not just you know let one another in various ways get off with with very little you know it is a huge amount of work as you say to to raise a little human being and take care of them as well and to do the the mental mathematics you know to keep yourself you know even just in terms of when does it need to feed what time has it gone to bed who's responsible for thinking about all of that is also a form of labor i think exactly exactly so it's the it's the you know that um that wonderful cartoon you should have asked um uh, you know that the 
I'm not, you're, I'm, I'm, of course, you're aware of it, um, but it, it's, it's, you can just Google, you should have asked the, the kind of uh, feminist cartoon. And it's, it's obvious, uh, just to, to reiterate that briefly, it's a, um, it's a, um, a little domestic scenario where a, a man chills on the couch and there's a crisis in the kitchen and he, he says to the wife, you should have asked. And by doing that, as a man, I'm assigning my wife the work to actually be the manager and tell me what to do. Um, and it actually it takes a, a deliberate effort to, to 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 get into the mode of thinking. Well, what what should be on the shopping list? Um, and it's you know, it, and, and that's individual work. So it's it's something that a man or a woman or you know to use the kind of binary classification of mother or father, but or parent. But the the just to just to revert to that kind of binary construction of society. Um, that's individual work that that needs to happen at an individual level, but it it also is is constructed by what we see around us and the expectations of people around us and the norms that are that are um, visible in media or in friends or in friend circles. So it's um, it's also a, a structural shift at the same time. And you know that one's environment has such a massive impact on your behavior that you can make an individual decision to change, but you also need to change your environment or the people you hang out with or the media you consume or the spaces you, 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 you move through to, to actually make that difference. Um, and that's the slower, bigger work, I think, that, that needs to happen. Yeah, the sort of social reinforcement of what you're doing is really, really important. And we sort of saw that during COVID, more active fathers obviously have a huge benefit for their partners as well, enabling that more equitable work-life balance. And in COVID, the NIDSCRAM data showed that fathers did become more involved in their children's lives during COVID when there was a strict lockdown. But it was often doing activities that weren't branded as women's work. So they were they helped with homework or they did some playing with the children, but they didn't do that preparing food or domestic labor how do you think we can shift to reframing those tasks as non-gendered as something that's just parenting yeah you know the the um so just just to quickly reflect on the data that's and that was worldwide there's lots of surveys the the un women the gender rapid assessments and 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 others have shown that men did do more care work um including domestic work but um, may, women actually did even more, so the gap increased. Um, so the, the the gap wasn't equalized by men doing more. Men did do more, and that was good. But in in on average across multiple countries, the gap actually increased. Um, but I, just to to zoom back to the to the question of well, how do we can how we can change that? Something that I I think is is really really valuable to do as a practice is. The, the, the Dutch call it solo care, and they've actually done some advocacy around this, but just to, um, it's simply to leave a, a, a man alone in charge of the house and the children for extended periods of time. Um, so for a partner who travels or who goes on a leisure break, leisure break, um, you know, just to leave a, a father in charge of having to make all the decisions about the children, um, not only for an hour or two, but 
my, my friend Vidar from, from Sweden, he says he thinks it, it takes about four days for that to actually uh, hit home because um, that's when you start to need to, that's when you need to doing, start doing laundry. So you can, <laughs> you can kind of get away with the clothes that are available and the food that's available and eat takeaways for about two or three days. But once it goes over four or five days, you actually still need to start doing the domestic work that it takes to keep a household with children going as well. So I think that's a, you know, that's something that's quite simple is, and I mean, even starting small, you know, just, just deliberately leaving a, a dad in charge and not, not for brownie points, but just, just for, for the getting the um, opportunity to actually become competent in, in doing the work. I think yeah. that's so important. And there's often like when people say, oh, he's babysitting instead of he's parenting. I think if you exactly. don't have those extended periods of time, then it will always be, you know, you as the mother become a default parent and the father becomes a yes. backup parent, which exactly. you, know, you have to shift to both becoming the default for it to change. Um, you've recently, and recently, oh, sorry, carry on. No, no, no. Just and, and, and that, that time that you spend as a solo parent, especially with younger children where you do care work, where you feed them and wash them and clean them and put them to bed, etc. That is the that is the kind of golden attachment material. That's where attachment mm. comes from. Bonding and attachment comes from care work. If you if you know it it, it it's much harder to bond and attach without having that caring work. So Children attach to their mothers because their mothers do most of the care work, not because mm. they're female. Um, you know, of, but of course, there's bonding and there's kind of connection in terms of the nurturing experience of breastfeeding, etc. But beyond that, you know, men can do as much nurturing and care and support and loving of a child that 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 women can do. Um, so the time is it has this effect of building the man's competency in the care. But it also forms a really, really important emotional and psychological basis for the future relationship between parent and child. Mm, so, so important. And mm. on that same topic, you recently completed your PhD on the topic of a feminist ethic of care. What does this mean for the average listener? And can you tell us a little bit more about your PhD? Sure. Um, so, so, the... You know, I, I really wanted to do something that I would enjoy. Um, and I, I love just listening to people's stories and meeting, meeting interesting people. And I, I, I entered the, the PhD with this question of understanding the relationship between men and care better. So what I did was I selected from the school where my daughter was attending. So she was actually attending the very same Waldorf school in Stellenbosch um, that I had taught at 20 years before. Um, so she, she was attending that school and I had recruited a group of families from the parent body of the school. Um, not because I'm interested in the school, but just because I felt like I wanted to and well, I didn't feel like this, but I d decided that I wanted to document a um, a site or a system that I'm also a part of. So it was participant observation of a, uh, a a community that I was a member of, and I picked uh, six families, um, and then I spent time with them in their homes um, at school events. I did some deliberate interviewing. I also did some 
um, just some observation, went for walks on their properties with them. One family had a farm, so we would go for a walk on the farm with the kids um, and just uh, did a very, very detailed documentation of how caring happens in, in the families and particularly grounded in this question of what are the different ways in which the, the fathers and the men in those families um, enact or perform or th- and think about and define care. Um, and the, the, the framework for that was a, a theoretical framework of an ethic of care that comes from an academic called Joan Tronto. And she built an understanding of an ethic of care that highlights the political nature of care, um, where certain kinds of care is marginalized. Um, For example, the hard care work, um, the caregiving, domestic work, etc. That receives relatively low uh, value in society and is relatively... Um, uh, people uh, uh, don't have much influence if they in, in in the way that that's currently constructed, but then um, on the other hand, there are different kinds of care, like taking care of somebody, which is different than the actual caregiving work, and then there's also caring about, so just having the feeling or emotion of caring about, and she pointed out that those in power often have the the luxury and the privilege to to feel care about something without actually having to do the care work um, or to take care of another without, again, actually having to do the care work. Where care work is close, proximal, intimate contact, feeding, washing, clothing, cleaning. Um, so for for the average person, you know, who, who listens to this or is thinking about this, I, you know, where I landed was that I in observing the the fathers and the men and the families, uh, many of them were quite involved as caregivers, um, either over a distance if they were living separately from their children or in the same household. And what I observed basically was the potential for fatherhood to go beyond patriarchy. So for fatherhood to happen in a context that's not dependent on men being in charge um, but actually doing the care work and thereby contributing towards gender equality um, the 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 one family they had a really interesting way of, of framing it so the um, the the mother was the the breadwinner or she is the breadwinner she's a financial um, uh, she's a she's a chartered accountant working in financial services and the, the, the father is mostly a stay-at-home dad. He's also qualified as an industrial designer, and he does some, um, some work every now and again. But he's, he's the main caregiver of the children. And they, they came up with the word better male. They said he's a better male. And the, the word better was a, a combination of the word better, like good, better, better, better. So he's a better male and beta, as in the second to alpha. So he's not an alpha male, he's a beta male. Um, and that was a really nice way for them to make meaning of that, that they prefer the fact that he's not in charge because they see that as an upgrade. Um, 
with the fact that he's in charge of the household. He does the shopping list and then he does the shopping. He, um, he plans the children's wardrobes, he dresses them, he maps out the week schedule, he works with the domestic worker to plan the menu for the week. Um, and yeah, so anyway, so that the, the thesis was a wonderful opportunity just to jump into the fish tank of people's lived experience and just observe these things and, and document them. Sounds fascinating. Um, but navigating parenting and trying to study is no mean feat. How did you and your partner negotiate your care work at home so that you both have a chance to pursue things like this PhD that matter to you? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was a very, very, there's, there's lots of ironies that pop up. So, so one irony is that I, I would fly to the Women Deliver conference in Canada on the other side of the planet from my family to promote involved fatherhood. Um, you know, it's like spending 12 days away from my family promoting involved fatherhood. So that's, but similarly in, um, in, in terms of the, just getting the time to do my thesis, um, it was really this triple layered sandwich of life where I, I had young children, you know, at the time they were four and five. Well, going well. Actually, when I began, they were. I, I, I only had my daughter. My son hadn't arrived yet, so she was still a baby. Um, but basically, children going up until six and seven um, for the first six years of their lives, and um, I was promoting it as a paid job at my work at Sonke, and I was writing my thesis about it. Um, so it was this kind of triple intersecting layer, and and then the. Um, the irony of having to step out of caring for my children to write about caring for my children. Um, <laughs> it's this constant feeling of, well, you know, the value that I'm, are, are the words on the page actually more valuable than, you know, giving my son a bath at this point, um, you know, because he needs that. So so it did, it did significantly come down to... Um, well, firstly, writing at odd hours, so waking up before the family wakes up at three or four in the morning, um, but then also just depending on, on, on my partner at, at some point to, to take care of the children when, when I needed to, um, to buckle down and do, do some writing. Um, uh, it was also, it was also uh, poorly timed where I, um, I, I, Sonke offers a sabbatical for people who've been working for the organization longer than five years. So after five years, you can qualify for a, a three-month sabbatical, um, a paid sabbatical. So that was a wonderful opportunity that I had been waiting for. And when I had enough data, I actually took the, took the sabbatical and I had three months to, to sit down and just write for the whole day while my family are at school and work. And then... Um, on that very week, that very day, it was the, the, the 1st of March 2020 when COVID arrived and the first hard lockdown began. So I had three months of leave to sit down and write my PhD and that was when the hard lockdown started. So <laughs> again, when you know, just as I was going to do this, my family joined me in the house and my wife is a music teacher, so she's able to work remotely and give lessons over Zoom. So she had to keep going and teach. And I was 
thrust into being a, basically a stay-at-home dad for those three months while I was on leave um, until uh, the lockdown lifted and people could go back to school. So I, I actually pulled out my kindergarten teaching skills and I, I ran a homeschool for three months. Wow. Um, so in, in that time, that I mean, that's actually when I wrote the most most of the thesis, but it was, to be honest, it was between four and seven in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real so, life confronting theory again. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so it feels now, it feels, oh, when it, now that it's done and now that the kids are older and now that, you know, the COVID regulations have relaxed, it just feels like a holiday. <laughs> I, I only have to do paid work for eight hours a day. It's like, what yeah. a luxury. Free time. How amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in your paid work day job, you've been involved in the production of the State of South Africa's Fathers Reports. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about the key findings from that report around fatherhood, equality and parenting in South Africa? Sure. So the, the, the most recent one is 2021. We... Um, we did it. the first one, the inaugural one was in 2018. And the idea is that it, it becomes a similar publication to the Child Gauge produced by the Children's Institute. We, you know, we, we don't have enough changes in, in data for us to publish a report every year. So we, the frequency is every three years. So the next one will be coming out in 2024. And I think similar to the child gauge, it it sets a long-term longitudinal monitor in place so that we can measure over the long term whether things are actually changing or improving. Um, so the first one was mostly a literature survey. It, it just uh, included um, uh, in-depth articles by uh, experts in the field on various uh, aspects of fatherhood. For example, uh, Linda Richter wrote a, a chapter with Dr. Tawanda Makusha on fatherhood in the first thousand days. That was the kind of central article in the 2018 uh, report. And we've we followed the same model for this report, but what we've been very, very happy to be able to do is that we could collect data for the first time. So we actually had funding to do an actual survey with fathers. So we surveyed just over a thousand fathers um, on questions of fatherhood, parenting, care, violence, health, mental health, etc. And um, a few things stand out. So we we also we, we also collect um, or we write about the most recent household survey data, census data that that is available. So one. Um, key fact that, that, that we were quite surprised to see was that um, most children in South Africa live in the same house as a man. So most children co-reside with men in South Africa, just under 80%. Um, and that number had actually, in terms of men co-residing with children, the amount of men who live with children had increased due to the COVID pandemic. Um, again, citing the NIDS cram findings, one of the findings was that on people's migration during COVID, there was an increase of men moving into households with children. It went from just under 50% to actually over 60%. Um, basically, men went home um, in, 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 in COVID, at, according to the latest NIDS cram findings. Um, so 
you know, we, we often in conversations about fatherhood, there's a, uh, I think, an overemphasis on the, the number that cites co-residents or non, non-co-residents of biological fathers with children. And what we're seeing increasingly as we, as we keep the report going is that that is, is it's, a, it's a kind of a bias that's not very useful because it, it obscures what children's lived experiences actually are and what parents' lived experiences actually are. So the, the illusion that the idea that <clears throat> the, the, the kind of absent father narrative creates is that children live on this planet where there are no men around. Whereas the fact is that there are actually men in their extended families and households who are co-residing with them. And I, the reason why that's quite important to, to understand, and I think why we have high, highlighted that in the 2021 report, is that those are the men we want to animate, to mobilize, to get involved in care work of children, because they are there in the same household as the child. That is a much more realistic goal than trying to get missing biological fathers to come back and care for their children or provide financial support. So when we asked that question in the survey, it it was really, really striking to see that um, fathers who, in fact, well, not not fathers, but men who care for children that they are not biologically related to, are much more involved in children's lives than than we had expected. So we we asked uh, biological fathers um, a range of things, uh, doing homework with children, feeding children, playing with children, clothing them, washing them, talking to them about things that are important to the child, etc. And the the, the level of involvement between biological fathers and children compared to the level of involvement between men who are not biologically related to children and children was not that different. It was the findings on the biological dads were around 70% on average of the fathers would say they would do these things. And the um, those who are not biologically related to children were around 60, 62% on average on, on doing those various things. And you know that's that's significant. That's that really really tells us that it's worth investing in mobilizing the men in the extended families around children. So the brothers, the uncles, the grandfathers. And I think the 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 key message there is that it it is your place. You know, it is there is a gap there. There is a it's it's not it's not fair that a brother or an uncle or a grandfather or a new partner just steps out of the care work because the mother is more closer, closely related to the child. If you're living in a household, you can do as much care work as the women who are living in the household, basically. Yeah, I mean, my husband was recently talking to another colleague who's trying to be a more active parent, and the colleague's father had said to him that when he was younger, men didn't get involved at all. He was sort of blown away by dads these days doing the bare minimum of care work. How do you think we shift that generational norm of absent or non-contributing fatherhood? Well, um, <laughs> I think that's, I mean, that, that, is, that is the main question. The, um, yeah, t- so just, just to, to, to echo that, that, that anecdote, um, the, uh, my, my friend, uh, Professor Kulpano Ratele always says that the, 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 the historical standard for men's involvement is not very high. So 
So it's not very it's not very hard to look like you're very involved because the baseline is very low. Um, there's this um, story, uh, an author, a guy called Michael Chabon, he, he wrote a book called Manhood for Amateurs and he, he described standing in a supermarket line and um, his daughter is is a little bit sticky from all the sweets she's eaten and she's had she's kind of got Cheerios in her hair and she's chewing on a piece of wire and he's kind of like just wanting to get to the to the till and pay and get out and there's this person behind him who gives him this beaming smile saying like you are a wonderful father <laughs> and he's like no, I'm not. I'm like, if, if, if a mother were to stand here with the child looking the way she did the same as I would, would a mother get the same comment, comment that she is a wonderful mother? Um, so to, to answer the question, Jen, I think, you know, it's, it's a multi-layered question. So we've, we've spoken a bit about the kind of personal changes that happen. So I think on a personal level, just make it very tangible. Um, spending time alone with a child um, being deliberate about that, I think in a slightly wider lens, um, seeing good examples of caregiving around us and in the media, so being encouraged and inspired by friends and peers. And, and I do think we are seeing some of that more and more in, in the media. We're seeing more films um, and TV shows, you know, This Is Us or Fatherhood with, with Kevin Hart. There, there are a few great examples that are actually not they're not, they're not tokenistic. They, they actually have kind of a nice way of telling a story that shows the issues of involvement quite quite well. Um, and then I think that, so being quite deliberate about that, and, you know, our colleagues over at Heartlines are coming up with a new fatherhood series coming out in September on SABC2, which is going to be really exciting to, to watch. Um, and then, of course, the, the structural stuff in terms of policies, you know, so to... To get equal leave, equal paid leave for all parents in South Africa, um, in companies, but also supported by the state, so that um, you actually have uh, incentive and an opportunity to spend time with 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 children. Um, the the best the best standard for parental leave is non transferable leave, so that it's not shared between a couple so that the, 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 um, the father can't move it over to the mother to do. So it's use it or lose it. Um, paid so that you can actually take time off work to do the care work. And, um, you know, of a substantial time period. So at least four months, but ideally more than that. So I think that's what it'll take. It's this kind of multi-layered approach. Yeah, I was going to ask you about parental leave, but I think you've summarized it really nicely there. Um, I know that the the sort of daddy quotas in, in countries like um, Canada and Montreal and stuff have been really influential in getting dads to spend more time at home with their kids and become more involved. I think our 10 days is so, so inadequate. It's just, you know, I, I really, really struggled with it. And my partner struggled with having to go back to work so early on, never mind that you are physically exhausted. It deprives your, you know, the, the default parent of the care and support that they need to recover in the postpartum period. It's really detrimental. I, I hope that we can get there one day of a much more equitable situation. Yeah, and there's an economic case for that. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the GDP of countries with better leave policies you know it's 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 there is a clear association it's it's 
It is. And, you know, you've got much more productive workers. You've got people who are motivated. You become an employer of choice. There's, there's just so much to be said for the business case. Um, but then also, you know, you're not, you're not worrying at work. And, and you know, a, a big feature on that is, I mean, we can do a podcast series just on parental leave. But one, 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 one key point is also that it eliminates discrimination against potentially pregnant mothers. Um, whereas uh, if you're hiring uh, somebody of reproductive age and, you know, they, it comes apparent in the interview that they are, you know, they, they just gotten married or they, they're kind of starting a, a new relationship, you, you might be thinking that, you know, you don't want to risk them going on maternity leave in the next two or three years. If men and if everybody, not, not even the binary, but if all parents had access to equal leave, that would eliminate the discrimination against potentially pregnant mothers um, and delivering mothers to take maternity leave. Um, mm. so anyway, so there's, there's, there's a whole range of benefits. We, we're actually involved in a, um, a, a high court case that takes this as a constitutional issue that actually um, argues for equal leave for all parents. And um, the papers are going to be filed pretty soon. But I think that that will be a really exciting case to follow because it, if it, if you know, if you look at our constitution, it's actually it's 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 discriminatory only to give um, ten days to one parent and four months to the other, not because of the father's rights, but because of the the mother's right to return to work, um, et cetera, et cetera. I can talk about that for it's my it's one of my <laughs> tomato tests I can get on and talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's so, it's yeah. so so important, and it you know it it, it's about being there for the physical recovery. It's about being there for the early days of your child's life for that attachment. It's about learning how to care and become competent. It's so so important. I know when a few years ago, when it was still that really pathetic three days, that some parents, mm. some fathers didn't even bother to take it because your your partner is still in the hospital. So there's, what are you going to do at the hospital that the, the sisters can't do? So they just wouldn't take that leave at all. You know, it's, it, it deeply offends me that it's yes. so, so poor. And, and those three days are family responsibility. They're not mm. dedicated to parenting leave. Yeah, so then if your child gets sick later in the year, then you have to take leave. We weddings, funerals, yeah. etc. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think we could both stand on a soapbox and talk about this for a yeah. long time. <laughs> yeah. I ask um, everybody who comes on the podcast the same three questions at the end. And the first is, um, do you have a book that has inspired your feminism or your feminist parenting that you'd like everyone to read? Yes, absolutely. Um, sheesh, it's hard to pick one. Um, but the, the key one that, that comes to mind is the one that I... Um, drew on for significantly for my thesis. It's it's by the academic Joan Tronto, and the book is called Moral Boundaries. And it it it's it's relatively old. It came out in 1993, but it's I think it's increasingly appropriate for the time and the society that we live in. The the the, the more we see the need for care. It 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 sketches the it's basically it's called moral boundaries a political argument for an ethic of care that's the title a political argument for an ethic of care and it it takes a fantastic wide sweep of history to show how morality itself has been shaped 
to marginalize care. Um, that's a really fantastic read. It sounds very, very interesting. The second question is, do you have a quote or any words of wisdom that you live by? <laughs> um, wow, that changes all the time, hey? <laughs> um, again, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's, it's, I think it's becoming very apparent how deeply Joan Tronto has influenced my life. But while she's top of mind, I'll quote a quote of hers that I have stuck up on my wall, um, which is that care work is difficult work, but it is the work that sustains life. Sure. So true. Mm. And final question for you, Vessel, is do you have any advice for other feminists on their parenting journeys? Um, I, I think, you know, sure, advice. <laughs> um, I think it just get down to it, hey? I think that, that the solo care and spending time with the child is is the most valuable thing one can do. Um, and then I think the one thing that I did mention as we were talking is that, especially for uncles, grandfathers, partners, new partners to parents, um, to really feel encouraged that it is your place, you know, it, it is your place to to get involved in caring for a child that might not be biologically related to you. Yeah, I mean, the benefits go both ways. It's It sounds like it's work, but it also is extremely nourishing when when you are doing that caring and seeing the value and the changes Absolutely. in the child. I think yes. that we're talking about it as a, a form of labor, but it's also a form of love. Um, and yes. you know, that love is nourishing for both of you. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I think it's been really, really interesting to hear from the father, the fatherhood side of things. Um, I just appreciate it. So thanks very much. Thanks, Jen. And, you know, I, I would really encourage everyone who's listening to check out the Men Care Global Fatherhood Campaign. That a lot of this material is centered there and you can just mm. google men care fatherhood um, it's been wonderful to speak with you and good luck with everything you're doing cool thank you Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Living While Feminist with me, Jen Thorpe. Please do tune in next week to hear more from feminists about their lives and experiences. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>